Возлюбленный Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег, могущество Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше, от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец Сын Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
Конечное сияние. Я узнаю его, я увижу глаза, Те, которые каждый узнает. И от счастья любви вдруг сорвется слеза, И на райском пороге растает, И на райском пороге растает. Здесь надежда моя, Здесь мой щит и облог, Здесь обед заключен благодатный, Здесь любовью горят, Умер он за меня, Кто земной бою не был запятнан. И его чистотой, и его красотой, И его неповинной смертью Мне дана благодать, Твердо верить и ждать, Предвкушая желанную встречу, Мне дана благодать, Твердо верить и ждать, Предвкушая желанную встречу.
So if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that contains the depth of the unknown yet to us, treasures that are our inheritance, Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Call to Perfection. To be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect is to shine your sun over the evil and good and send your rain on the just and on the unjust. And first of all, upon your own essence, in our essence we have something righteous and we have something that's unrighteous. This is our spirit that's righteous. The old person is unrighteous. That in no way is to be blessed by the sun but needs to be burned by the sun. And you can't bless with rains but drown it with rains. The lawless and unclean as well, they are not able to be blessed with the sun or the rain. The wrath of God needs to destroy them. But God can only do this by our mouth. This is the essence of perfection. And so this is promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations. And this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets, in which we died by the law for the law, to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant, in the format of the law of the spirit of life, so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the past law, but by the righteousness of faith, like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. We need to know that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent, together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us 
and is our head. Therefore the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us his word by the mouth of his delegated people. Therefore the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which is the spoken word of, his God deleg of God's delegated ones. To examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to represent <coughs> and present to us his word is to be done by the power of delegation within the implemented by God order and by the existing within our heart anointing to identify the voice of God in the mouth of that person who is supposed to represent the fatherhood of God to us. 1 John 2.18-26 Little children, it is the last hour that is the hater of Christ will come. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. This hater of Christ, hater of the truth, has come. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. They didn't come, <coughs> they didn't come from the world because the world is not familiar uh, with God. And to be a hater of something you do not know is not possible. You can be a hater of something only if you already know what you're fighting against. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be mani made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all these things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. By the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man evidence of the fact that he is a child of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God. The when accomplished, then, is the goal of the given to us righteousness. Therefore, it is the righteousness of faith by this righteousness of faith, we will enter every promise. <clears throat> it is the righteousness by the means of the peace of God containing the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7. It's very important with thanksgiving to open up your needs because everything we try to ask for <clears throat> and if we have need of, uh, there's already a response. This response is already placed upon our account in Christ Jesus. And we open these things up with thanksgiving and we believe this is so and it doesn't come immediately. And so this righteousness of God helps us <clears throat> so that our mind would continue to be in Christ Jesus. Because if it will not be there, then we will be complaining, God is not helping me, I didn't do something right, I think, and, and things like that. <clears throat> the peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus are thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8. 
According to this statement, we conclude that people who have rejected the condition where the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind have no connection to the peace of God and are not able to have it. And consequently, such people have no connection and cannot have a connection to the sons of peace either, that by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend well that it is only by the collaboration of our spirit with our renewed mind that is within Christ Jesus that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, to look at the righteousness of faith so we bring about the inheritance of the peace of God and the conditions outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that our minds would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we have been studying the following question. By what signs are we able to determine, examining ourselves, that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God? Because it is by the reign of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5 9. <clears throat> With this we've noted that if a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification, which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus, in the format of a guarantee, will never convert into the quality and format of righteousness, by which he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the promise of the peace of God, so that he in righteousness would bear fruits of peace which is why the prepared for them crown of righteousness will be taken from such people, giving them the right to the promise of peace, where they can be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11 we need to remember that the promise of the peace of God receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side or participant of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God that are included in the obligations of the covenant. And if either of the sides violates the conditions that were agreed upon in the covenant of peace between God and man, we note that such a violator can only be a man, then the other side being God is released and freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the conditions of the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness identified as the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as grounds or a basis for God so that he may fulfill his part contained in the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of the Son so that we would share with him all the things that are written about him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because the justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into the quality and format of righteousness, where we have obtained the ability to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with, and with those all around us.
Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12.14 We have noted that in this place of Scripture we are talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. And so Apostle Paul gives specific instruction. If it, is if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12, 18, which means it's not possible to have men or have peace with all men because these people, not all people, are within the boundaries or parameters of holiness. You can have peace only with those who are within the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord. Therefore, the peace that we dare by the inspiration of our mind to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life because our communication with people that the, <clears throat> again, because our communica communication with people that the scriptures, not what we, but the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 When Apostle John speaks of the fact that Antichrist and those haters of, uh, that are haters of Christ are those who came out from us, they came out incorrectly. They condemn, they rebel, and they come out, and they are called Antichrists. Of course, many saints say, well, they are holy people. They came came out and went to another service. They, they came out, spit on this church, stomped all over it, and went to another one. And they will spit on that church as well and keep going. Some of them I've asked, you left, and you, came, you went to that church. Do you agree with what is being preached there? No, they say. Then why? Then you, did you then did you go there? Is there even in the city a church that would uh, be in agreement with your opinion? And they say probably not. If you can imagine, where for a person there is no one equal to him, being nothing, just a regular member, they dare to say what is good and evil, and what church is right and wrong, what pastor is right, which one's wrong. And call them, calling this person holy is, is a, a criminal act. Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the wicked who support the unclean, who in their time accepted the truth but then left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. The very fact of the rebelliousness, the rebellion and resistance against the words spoken by God's delegated ones that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace in their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. <clears throat> and this is not the only place of Scripture that speaks of this. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. And this is 
our ability to be this again is how we determine we are part of the sons of peace is by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God because the faith of God or the faith with which we can please God it works by the inspiration of love and it's this is a power faith that is uh uh, pretty much function or working or functioning by love. And so if it does not have love, this is a demonic faith. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians three fourteen fifteen. And so we are called to peace, in one body. We are called to peace only with those that are within the body of Christ that belong to the church of saints. We've noted that according to this place of scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehending for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children. God loves those who love who love him and hate those hates those who love who hate him. God sent Jesus to redeem his church. Jesus loved his church and gave himself for her, washing her with pure waters, so that she would be holy and without blemish before him. In love. The angel came to Joseph when he thought that his bride had become pregnant from another. And the angel said to him, Joseph, son of Mary, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the one that is in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he will save his people from his sins. He didn't come to save everyone without exception, but only his own, and his own are the ones that he, before the creation of the world, already uh, foreknew. These are the ones who heard the truth, seeing the light, they went to the light, not the ones that saw the light and went, uh, started distancing themselves from the light because their works are not in Him. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. I always stop here. As you can see, he's turning, he's, he's speaking to the children of God, to the children of God in Ephesus and the children of God in Corinth who spoke, uh, these are people who spoke in tongues, who rebuked demons, but he tells them that he would grant, uh, grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, which means that Christ had not yet been in their heart. 
They were people still of the flesh, not having the Spirit, although they were speaking in tongues. Because tongues is not the Holy Spirit. This is the ability of our spirit using our mouth to speak with God in a foreign tongue. This was given to him while he's baptized by the Holy Spirit. Being baptized by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes, gives this person this ability, and leaves because he cannot live within this person as a master. He can be within him as a guest because this person is not yet able to obey him or be under or understand him or be led by him. And so they do not have the Spirit of God and cannot be led by the Spirit of God. To be led by the Spirit of God is not be led by prophecies, but every individual person needs to be led by the Spirit of God inside of his heart. He needs to have the Urim and Thummim. In his heart, he needs to hear the voice of God, and God needs to hear him. He needs to be able to communicate with God and hear the Lord within his heart. He doesn't have any need to run to prophets that are not prophets. You cannot call a person who prophesies a prophet. Because a prophet is always one who prophesies, but one who pro- prophesies is not always a prophet. A prophet is a leader whom God has sent to tend his flocks. But those who prophesy are people who prophesy within the measure that God has allowed. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the spirit and the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love only then can you be rooted and grounded in love when the Holy Spirit will enter into your heart as your master that we would be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. However, to come to more practical conclusions when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken words of the apostles and prophets. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. First, each of the seven qualities of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities. As they flow one from the other, complete, they are blended, mixed within each other, blended, uh, complete or support one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. These qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God. The given qualities are the great and precious promises given to us in Jesus Christ and in Christ Jesus as well. The given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich. And this happens when we are obedient, our faith is obedient to the faith of God. In order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life. The means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. 
and seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises, we become a part of God's divine nature. Our essence becomes in the likeness of God's essence. Our words become in the likeness of God's words and do what the words of God would do. Therefore, the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. <clears throat> it is the selective love of God in the format of seven qualities unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly bodies into the, into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. The quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with the tolerant love of man because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues, qualities, and characteristics of our Heavenly Father and his all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God, because God is love. More specifically, holy love is separated from all that man calls love. <clears throat> and such an uncomprehending for our mind transcendent love of God is identified in Scripture as the bond of perfection, which directs us to the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God as first, or head of all of the other perfections identified as his virtues. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3.14. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that is in no way able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes or goals of a man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes or goals. Here is what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. <clears throat> Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all of the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. When they talk of human love, love is so deceptive, you will even, you can love whatsoever. And so God's love is not blind. God's love is perfect and it's absolutely different in that it perfectly knows what it loves. The measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. Because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. And we will then demonstrate within our faith these seven 
unearthly qualities of virtue. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the form of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of the growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the, un- in the earthly realm of the human lexicon, you will not find <clears throat> the definition of these virtues in any dictionary of the world. Yeah, they'll tell you what virtue is, self-control, perseverance, and so forth, but these will be completely different than what the Holy Spirit means in Scripture. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love which is unconditional when it comes to the people that it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. These boundaries identified as his burning holiness. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stop to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from such withdraw yourself. 1 Timothy 6, 3-4. Again, withdraw yourself from those who are obsessed with disputes and arguments. According to this place of scripture, we note that the teaching of godliness within the selective love of God and obsession with dispute and arguments over words is not only opposite or contrary one to the other, but is also unfitting in nature. In scripture, the discipline of godliness within the selective love of God is presented as the base or foundation of the gospel faith teaching linked together with the great mystery of godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 Therefore, by demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identify the true virtue or true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man in his words, his actions, and the manner in which he or she dresses. It's not supposed to prompt the instincts of the opposite sex. If we, with our clothing, are trying to prompt the opposite sex, that means that our heart does not have the true love of God. We deceive ourselves. If we can mock or belittle our brothers and sisters, if we can make fun of them, then we do not have the love of God within our heart. In Scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue godliness describes the legitimate relationship of the saints and God bound together in a mutual union or covenant. Furthermore, the essence of the selective love of God in godliness is determined and demonstrated in a mutual obligation of God and man, outlined and made perpetual by God in a mutual covenant of peace with God. 
Relevant to this fact, it is necessary for us to respond to four classical questions. First, what are the characteristics of godliness in Scripture? those of God as well as that of man. Second, what purpose is godliness called to fulfill within the relationship of God with man and man with God? Third, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness or kindness of God? And fourth, by what signs are we able to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God or brings about God's favor upon us? because godliness is God's favor in a specific form as much as the God as much as God has allowed in the measure of our faith we have already looked at the character of the first question what are the characteristics of godliness in scripture that of God and his favor toward man as well as the essence of the godliness of man in the favor of man toward God and stop to study the second question what purpose or role does godliness have in the relationship of God with man and man with God and before we studied this virtue of the mystery of godliness we made a note that there is a fundamental difference between goodness the goodness of God and his favor toward man and the godliness of a man which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God for example the godliness of a man is his favor to God his grace to God and his thanksgiving the ability to visit the fatherless and widow in their hardship to keep yourself from being undefiled by the world to imitate Christ and meditate about the things of the hills and seek God and his good, acceptable, and perfect will. The godliness of God <clears throat> is his goodness, his favor, and his grace toward man, his mercifulness towards man, his thanksgiving towards man, his good work and good acts, his kindness in the absolute sense of the word and of course this kindness is toward the man that also thanks him in return the goodness of God in his favor toward man is the uncomprehending and inaccessible for the mind of man kindness of God identified as his good acceptable and perfect will which was formed in the entrails of the heavenly father and elevated by him as a law of grace in the form of his commandment which God has magnified above all his names and placed himself in dependence from his word contained in his commandment the goodness of God as a commandment of God was elevated by God as a law, a law for himself, his son, the Holy Spirit, as well as the chosen flock, whom he, because of his ability to see all things foreknew and predestined so that they would be in the image of his son, so that he, <clears throat> his son, be the firstborn among many brothers. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Romans 8.29 The Old as well as the New Testament identified the virtue of the love of God in the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God himself, which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit or falsification. Aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness, there is also a counterfeit of, a counterfeit of godliness that exists as well, that will conflict or confront the true form of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. Second Timothy 3.5 <clears throat> 
everywhere where the holiness of God is seen, it has, there's a division or separation from people that do not have that love for God or only has the outward look, have the outward look of godliness. From such people turn away and avoid communication with them. True godliness in man perfectly differentiates or identifies a counterfeit form of godliness in man and with disdain break all relations or contact with them and distances itself from them as it reveres and trembles before all of the dictations of God and possesses discipline capable of fulfilling these dictations with great accuracy. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. Second question, or a continuation of the second question, in what situations is our godliness called to collaborate with the goodness of God in his favor? The purpose of godliness in the selective love of God is called to profit us having the promise of the life that now is and the one that is to come but reject profane and old wives' fables and ex exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now and that which is to come, 1 Timothy 4, 7, 8. I remember when I was in the army and it, there was a call in the night and everyone needed to run and go and prepare a gun in hand and up the mountain. This was summer and we go up the mountain uh, tens of kilometers. I'm laying and they say, get up. And, and I said, no, I'm going to lay and sleep. Uh, and I said, because bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. He waved his hand and left and reported to the uh, to one of the uh, greater ranked captains, and he says, "Just leave him. If that's what it's written, then." And they knew that if I say it's written, then I will only do what is written and not do what they're saying. And I said, if you don't like it, you could take these things and put cuffs on me and take me. Otherwise, I will live as a warrior of Christ. I gave an, uh, an oath. I made a, uh, I gave God an oath. I, I made a covenant with God. And they said, what if an enemy attacks us? I said, if I stand up and pray and say, Lord, protect them, and I together will sleep and no enemy will harm us. That's how I uh, was, was, I said at the time, and I sincerely believed in the things I was saying. And when I sincerely believed this, and they saw that I sincerely believed it in such a way that I uh, pretty much uh, attracted them by my faith and, and uh, they were surprised and wanted to hear it, more about it. They, of course, eventually needed to send me to prison. But right now we are not talking about this. We're talking about godliness that we need to practice. Because, again, bodily, bodily exercise profits a little. It's profitable, but little. I see when these young, young people, they're suffering uh, or 
after they work an entire day and they go to a gym to be uh, to to they go to the gym to exercise and become uh, to 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 uh, get their muscles uh, showing to exercise about the things that are of of God's commandments or to practice them and exercise these things in prayer. <clears throat> According to the above pl- words of Scripture, we conclude that practicing or exercising the works of godliness is, first of all, a promise that has the purpose of benefiting our life now and the one that is to come, and first requires to, you to reject profane and old wives' fables. <clears throat> and when you turn away from these profane and old wise fables, you will have godliness. If you will not turn away from them, reject these <clears throat> things, then you will not be able to be exercising godliness because you will just have these things. Profane and old wise fables, I looked up what these are. And what did Apostle Paul mean? These are myths, made-up things, rumors, and whispering about accomplished miracles of God, but information that is unsupported by the truth of the written word. <clears throat> Recently, one sister tells me I was sitting and reading about uh, a specific Episcopal whose name is Dubin, and he was... Uh, and there's a saying that she was reading about uh, and I've heard of this very saying when I was young as a very young man and uh, he was in prison and he drew a as if boat on the on the flo- on the ground and then he sat as if in this boat and he sat down, and there was a criminal in there with him, and sat down with him in that boat. And they were, and suddenly the the cell, uh, they were in disappeared, and they were upon a uh, a lake. And when I became a young, uh, when I became older, then I started asking the questions: Why did this person uh, take this criminal with him if such a thing actually happened? And before there was no documents if they put you into prison uh, when Apostle Peter when Angel brought him out and Peter left from that place not looking at the fact that there was no documents because if you can imagine there's a a prison you can't get out from uh, across the border and there's a myth that was the story was a myth it was a story and people believed in it and they tell people about it these miracles so called of God that had happened and they believe they actually happened and when I started explaining these things to, to, uh, to people and it came here to America and in one of the churches they offered me to speak uh, on the stage and I, I, I'm going to the front and he and this man takes me by the hand and seats me by him by his side he says I used to be preach like you do and everybody else is a fool here and I thought how can this gentleman say such things about the uh, members of the church and I never ever heard an elderly man say such things about other members of the church 
And then they allowed this man to speak. Uh, and they, he came up and actually uh, said the very same myth that I heard of before. Uh, he comes to a brother and the church says, repent, you are an adulterer. And he says, I'm not. And so, again, this person was speaking all kinds of fables and foolish things from the stage that weren't uh, God's work at all and believed in these things. And he came then and sat next to me again and said, how can, how, what, how, what did you think of my words? And I said, it's just a bunch of manure that you actually spoke of from the stage. He says, uh, he said, well, I was telling them the truth. I said, you need to read the scriptures, I told him. Uh, I just am saying this so that you understand what these wise fables, these profane things are. Not believe in these foolish uh, uh, stories that people may speak of um, that are not supported by scripture. Uh, that There will be a lot of false miracles and signs, as scripture says. And so you need to uh, turn away from these things and exercise godliness. The godliness of a man, again, is his favor to God, his grace to God, and his thanksgiving to God to visit the fatherless and widow in their hardship, keep yourself from being defiled by the world, to imitate Christ and meditate about the things of the hills. You see how you exercise godliness here. You need to imitate Christ and meditate about the things of the hills, see God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. To exercise the works of godliness is to open your heart to seek God and thank Him from the, for the redemption you have and demonstrate your thanksgiving and goodwill toward God. To share with the orphan and widow their sorrows or their hardship is, first of all, to be done with the orphan who have died for the house of their father. When a person dies for the house of his father, he becomes in an orphan. He literally becomes an orphan. And the widow who died for the law by the law and gave power to the reigning sin by the law that gave power to the reigning sin in their body. To keep yourself undefiled by the world and so again, the one that reigns is our husband. And so when we die by the law, for the law, then sin can no longer reign in our body and we, we then have the quality of a widow or the, we are then uh, symbolically as the widow. It doesn't mean we don't need to help fa the fatherless or the widow uh, in literal sense, but he was talking about the spiritual sense specifically in the nation of God, not just going into the world and assist these people. Because there are a lot of orphans, but we need to, you, you know that you pay taxes and the government is needing to care for these 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 uh, those that are fatherless in this situation that are orphans. And so when people begin to uh, give their money to these places, then I'm, ge I'm generally uh, confused. Uh, is everyone in your church now uh, in not having any need? Did you that you then go into the world? They have millions and trillions of dollars to be able to uh, assist these people. You need to assist those that are among you. Is what it's talking about. To keep yourself undefiled by the world 
is to keep yourself from being defiled by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, 1 John 2.16. And also keep yourself and avoid evil company who have the look of godliness but have denied its power, being supported by the world that grows corrupt according to their lusts. To imitate Christ and meditate of the things of the hills is by the means of prayer, communication with God, to discipline your mind and your will so that they continue in the law of the Most High. To see God and His good, acceptable, and perfect will is to continuously examine yourself whether you are within the parameters of the faith of God identified as the principles of Christ. Third question, what conditions do we need to fulfill in order to collaborate our godliness with the goodness of God or turn God's favor upon ourselves? And this is with our own thing, uh, our own favor. Only when we, our heart is opened to God and ready to receive His revelations, only then will He give them. In order to bring God's favor upon you within the selective love of God, it is necessary to have a sincere humility before God that needs to demonstrate itself in the acknowledgement and repentance of your sins. This is one of the components, and I wanted to. Speak of it first. What do we do to bring about God's favor upon us? This is to acknowledge your sins and repent in your sins. Considering that the favor of God is the result of the, of the mercy of God as a response to our prayer, where a person acknowledges and confesses their sins, I wanted to turn our attention to one of these prayers that was given by the Holy Spirit as an example for us so that we can imitate this prayer of Manasseh, king of Judah. The prayer of Manasseh, the king of Judah, when he was being held captive in Babylon, and we will keep in mind that this is the descendant of David. He, 52 years, he reigned in Jerusalem, and the kind of terrible things he did, not a single king had ever done. He removed the altar of the Lord. He put another altar. He worshipped Baal, Astartes, and so forth, and other idols, and he turned to those who call forth the dead. Symbolically, to be held captive in Babylon is to be held captive by your human intellect that mixes or blends the things of God with the things of man that built an, al- built an altar to God as he sees fit and offers sacrifices as he sees fit. Realizing such self-activity happens when you receive the revelation of order by which the altar of the Lord is supposed to be built and by revelation of how a sacrifice is to be offered. Here's how he starts his prayer. Lord Almighty, God of our ancestors, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their righteous children. First, we know that God, as the Almighty God, in His hands is all of His creation. In the names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, here He has concealed the power of His names that are called to become a blessed destiny of every person born from the seed of the word of truth. And Manasseh was such a king. He was born from the seed of the word of truth and still ended up in this kind of terrible sin. Second, God showed who he is in these three names, the God of our spirit, the God of our soul, and the God of our body. And this means that God has redeemed our spirit, soul, and body from the power of sin and death and made us his own. 
Third, God showed the seed of the woman in the form of the Son of Man in the righteous seed of these three names, by whom we can have access to the blessed destiny contained in the names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You, he prays further, you, you made heaven and earth with all their beauty. You set limits for the sea by speaking your command. You closed the bottomless pit and sealed it by your powerful and glorious name. You see what a wondrous prayer he prays. <clears throat> he had such sins on his shoulders, but received a revelation like this. See what he says about God. All these things fear you and tremble in your presence because no one can endure the brightness of your glory. No one can resist the fury of your threat against sinners. Looking at the words we just read, the symbol of the sea or depth that God set limits to by speaking his command is reigning sin in the form of the old person with his deeds. This is evident in the fact that this, this depth or this sea is associated with sinners. The interesting thing here is that Manasseh does not consider himself as a sinner even though he sinned, because God does not listen to sinners, since the wrath of God continues on them and they are the sons and vessels of his burning and furious wrath. This is visible in the next words. But your promised mercies and beyond measure and imagination, now I bow down before you from deep within my heart, begging for your kindness. He dares to uh, ask for the Lord's kindness. He knows that this is God's promise. Even though Manasseh sinned before his God, his heart kept the promise of grace that contains the beyond measure and imagination mercy of God, of his fathers. I have sinned, Lord, I have sinned. And I know the law I've broken. I'm praying, begging you, Forgive me, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, forgive me. Don't destroy me along with my sins. Don't keep my bad deeds in your memory forever. Don't sentence me to the earth's depths. For you, Lord, are the God of those who turn from their sins. Manasseh called the God of his fathers the God of those who turn from their sins. Repentance is a gift from God which is given exclusively to those who have the promise of his grace in their heart about such scripture say, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Proverbs 24:16. As a matter of fact, the name Manasseh means God gives the ability to forget suffering. Continuing his prayer, Manasseh again turns to the kindness of God that is contained in his heart in the form of the beyond measure and imagination. In me you'll show how kind you are, although I'm not worthy. You'll save me according to your great mercy. I will praise you continuously all the days of my life because all of the heaven's forces praise you, and the glory is yours forever and always. Amen. This is the prayer of Manasseh, verses 1, six, 1 through 6 and 11 through 15. 
Sincere repentance always follows humility, which is the fruit of righteousness, and calls forth the favor of God and produces a surprising joy amongst the angels of God. To better understand the way a person is humbled, where he gives the reins of control of his body to the spirit of his mind, which is the mind of Christ within his spirit, we will look at another place of scripture which speaks of the humble state of Manasseh and about the results of it, Second Chronicles 33, 11-16. Therefore the Lord brought upon, upon them the captain of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication. You see, God's favor towards man is shown here when he demonstrated his favor to God. He humbled himself. He asked for forgiveness. He bowed down before him and he received him. He heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. God gave the king of Babylon a heart and he took him from captivity, removed the shackles, put his royal garments back on him, and returned him to his land and said, you can rule in Jerusalem as you ruled previously. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. After this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley. We know the wall... A wall is a symbol of perfection. If she would have been a wall, we would have built a, a, upon her a battlement of silver. Silver is redemption. He built a wall outside the city of David. He began to perfect in the west side of Gihon. The west side, west is the setting of the sun. And so when the sun sets, that means the time is finishing and a person, when the time is finishing, he is to be perfect or be perfect by that time. He built uh, this perfect wall and as far as the entrance of the fish gate and it it enclosed a fell and he raised it to a very great great height then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah he took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord the house of the Lord is us the idols in the house of the Lord is this old person he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and he cast them out of the city He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. How we can turn God's favor upon ourselves? How can we, with our thanksgiving, with our favor, God sees the acknowledgement of your sins and repentance, the favor of a person towards God? 
Further, in order to bring God's favor upon you within the selective love of God, it is necessary to humbly overcome affliction and reproach allowed by God into our life. Now when King David came to Baharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Girah, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and all of the servants of King David, and all the people and all of the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty men, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom your son. So now you are caught in your own evil, because you are a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, the son of Zeru, said to the king, Why would this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, the son of Zerai? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all of his servants, See how my son, who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse? For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with the good for his, for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dirt. The key phrase, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with the good for his cursing this day, tells us that the affliction that was allowed by God into our life is the unique ability to demonstrate your humility before God so that you can obtain his favor. Every time when we refuse to overcome lies and slander against us allowed by God and look for justification, we lose the given to us opportunity to obtain the favor of God. I learned this very well for myself. And so when suddenly God allows and someone begins to speak evil against me and slanderous things, this is a, a, a my ball that I need to catch. This is my chance. And I don't start thinking who am I and who this person is and how they have the right to say this. I just begin to say, I humble myself and say, Lord, the Lord has allowed that someone speak to me like this to treat me this way. And I say, Lord, maybe I will obtain your favor in this way. And I do then receive the Lord's favor because I humble my heart when I am spoken, when people speak evil against me. We don't have the right technically to defend ourselves. When Paul defended himself, you know what words he used? I came to a foolish mind, he said. To defend yourselves is a foolish act as well, because if we are people that have the immune system of the Holy Spirit, we don't have the right to defend ourselves. Do not avenge yourselves, but give place to the wrath of God. 
for vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. When you began to cry and seek, I didn't do this, this is unjust, how can they do this? It is such pain upon my heart. They call me and I say, strange, nothing, nothing was really said against this person and even the truth was said, oh, I have such pain in my heart, I am about to die. And so this person can't accept that God has allowed this into the person's life and that he, God wants to bless you in this manner. He has allowed, uh, given you this opportunity to receive his favor by overcoming this. This is one of the surprising ways of God, wisdom of God, when God, by our affliction, prepares his blessing for us. And we will not lose that chance. Further, in order to bring God's favor upon you within the selective love of God, it is necessary to minister to the saints in the name of the Lord Jesus. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we despair desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Hebrews 6, 10 through 12. One of the conditions to inherit the promises of hope that is an, a demonstration of the kindness of God towards us is the zealous service <clears throat> towards the saints with the gifts we've received or for the saints the gifts we've received when we have the opportunity to serve the saints sometimes people become hard-hearted and say that's enough May some, let someone else do this I've already done this do it to the end because in some way because you do it, did it this way God will give to you the, abil the ability to reach the promise with hope that is to cast off the old man from ourselves and erect the stronghold of life as we talk about and one of the elements one of the conditions to cast out the old man and to uh, erect a stronghold of life is to serve the saints with those abilities that we that that we have you know in his time this was very pra practiced by churches very much practiced in the in the ancient uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, times in even in Russia too today this is very rarely practiced and you have the ob uh, opportunity to serve the people <clears throat> in order to bring God's favor upon you within the selective love of God it is necessary to continue in the trials of Christ or bear re reproach and shame for Christ Luke 22 28 29 but you are those who have continued with me in my trials and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me to bestow a kingdom is to bestow God's favor because God's kingdom is in his favor. 
<coughs> Here's what David said in the 69th Psalm 7 through 15. Because for your sake I have borne reproach, shame has covered my face. He was also talking about Christ. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children, because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. That beca- became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment I because I by word to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time, O God. In the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me, and out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me swallow me up and let not the pit shut its mouth on me I wanted to uh, pay attention to the to the phrase here according to your great mercy that God can hear our prayer only because of his good favor and his, uh, so that his reproach be uh, upon us today we have such uh, court, uh, courts that people for any kind of offense uh, that was made against them sue. I remember when I needed to uh, disqualify a few people uh, for certain uh, acts of behavior that were unacceptable and they tried to sue me. And of course I uh, avoided uh, all of these uh, lawsuits uh, the, the large binders even came to my desk uh, because they had uh, decided to sue me that I offended such a person. I just uh, lit a fire and burned these binders and uh, prayed to the Lord. With this uh, work, may your will be done. And those who... Uh, generally would sue, try to sue me, they were then sued and sued uh, and they ended up in situations where they were sued and they lost their jobs and their position and everything else in the process. We need to understand that we have the privilege because they can't uh, reproach Christ directly so they reproach you because of the truth telling you that you in- incorrectly understand it that this is uh, you don't need to pay, give your tithe and offering to the Lord that this is just a, uh, a, a means of taking money from the people uh, uh, people have come to me even uh, remove the requiring of tithes and you will have a full church and I said, never. How many people left uh, this church because of this reason? And they found other reasons that they, they, they said that it was for other reasons, but their heart was not ready to honor the Lord in this manner, and that's why they really left. And I knew the reason is because uh, later we got letters asking us where their tithes were, and where have you been using them, as if they know where they were used. Uh, again, you're giving it to the Lord. And if you gave to the Lord, then you need to ask of the Lord if 
I never ever said give me any of this I always according to scripture you give to the Lord and the Lord gives to his person and he then distributes them accordingly properly and God will then deal with him who and what happened and so when they reproach you they criticize you they you need to overcome it and you will be blessed considering that our time is now up we will pray and all those who desire to confront those uh, dependences the shame, the sins, the illnesses that may be in you Uh, the Lord can deliver you from them. We will pray for you. You will confess them, and I together with you will proclaim this, and we will cast all this to hell, into hell. And today the Lord intends to deliver you from your sins, to make you free as he made Manasseh, the king of Judah, free. I don't think any of you have sinned more than Manasseh had. But the Lord showed him mercy. Why? Because he acknowledged his sins. He humbled himself and he turned to the favor of the Lord. The righteous will fall seven times, but rise again because in your heart, this fire has not yet died, that you are born from God, you're a child of God. Satan is telling you, you will not be able to stand. The dependence that you're in, you will not be able to come out of. I know people that came to me They are fighting a long time with a specific dependence, either drug or alcohol or other perversion. They can't get out of it. You need to be confident that the day will come when the Lord will deliver you from this and you will be enjoying your freedom. Come to Him. He's ready right now. When you acknowledge your sins, your, your lawless works, you cast this all into hell. Tell God about your illnesses and he will heal you. Let's bend our knees and pray. We wait for you here at the altar. I am going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe in the fact that the Lord is for you. He isn't against you. He can, in the blink of an eye, forgive you and cleanse you and he will do this right now. Close your eyes. Lift your hands to the Lord. This is a sign that you're ready to receive from the Lord what He wants to give you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my shame, with my sin, with my troubles, with my illnesses, with my dependence, with my fears. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, protect me from my enemy that is strong, heal my soul, heal my body, deliver me from the dependence of sin. I hate sin and I hate this dependence. I ask you, heal my broken body, my my sick soul. I entrust myself to you. You are my God. I turn to your favor and your mercy. Show your mercy by the greatness of your mercy and heal me because of your goodness. 
And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you with his mercy and with his goodness. May God's blessing be upon you, those of the hills and valleys. May you stand upon your enemy, and may the Lord show his salvation for you. May he deliver you from the dependence you're in. May he give you the joy of salvation in your heart. May he heal you from your illnesses. May all this be upon you and your children and be fulfilled. And the nation shall say, Amen. Your mouth continues to be the rod of God. If you leave the church and continue with your mouth to confess and thank God, it will be harder for you to be tempted by sin because God has made your mouth as his own mouth when you confess his word or are obedient to that word, not depending on what you feel or see or what's around you, God will change the circumstance. He is for you and not against you. He is able to do what he's promised. Let us now together proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.